This is a dictionary of finance, which you're probably listening to on a digital device, which means that you're part of the digital economy. Uh, we should find out what the digital economy actually is. We have two experts here to explain it to us. Yes, one of them is Lisa Rasaka, who currently works in risk management for the European Investment Bank. She has spent the last four years financing loans to Swedish firms, including digital economy companies like Bonnier, who is the media firm that you may know uh, for making the Wallander series on TV. Nice nice pronunciation of uh, Lisa's name there. And all of and also Wallander. Wallander, because the series, when they made it in Britain, everyone called it Wallander. Mm. That's not how you pronounce it. Yes, how we- disappointing, isn't it? Lisa has worked at a number of organizations known by their acronyms. So in our uh, general mission to explain the apparently arcane world of finance. We're going to take a quick break here to introduce the uh, institutions she's worked at by their acronyms. And Lisa is going to tell us what those actually stand for, uh, because they're places that you, dear listener, might be interested in with your thirst for the knowledge of all things financial. Let's say, Lisa, you you work now at the EIB. We we all know what that is because we're listening to the podcast. It's the European Investment Bank. God bless it. Uh, but you were also at the EBRD. Yes. What's that? The EBRD is the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, which was set up in the 1990s when um, the countries from the old um, Soviet Union uh, dismantled and uh, these countries also needed a specific development bank to support them and their transformation into uh, uh, so they're mostly working in like Moldova, Ukraine, places yes. like that. Yes. But they're not based there, right? They're based in they're London. They're based in London, yeah. Hmm, okay. Well, before that, you worked for the NIB. <laughs> What's the NIB? Yes, yeah, so that's the Nordic Investment Bank. Uh, and I worked there actually at another smaller institution called NEFCO, Nordic Environment Finance Corporation. And mm. the Nordic Investment Bank is... It's more or less a copycat of the EIB, but it's um, serving the Nordic countries. Aha. Uh-huh. And a final acronym here. Uh, you had a brief period in which you were working uh, at the IFC. Yes. So oh. IFC is the International Finance Corporation, which is uh, the private sector arm of the World Bank in Washington. Oh, the World Bank, which is actually the IBRD, isn't it? <laughs> The International Bank for Reconstruction, Reconstruction and Development. Development. Yes, there you go. Wow, the acronyms within acronyms. Rasika is not an acronym, right? That's no, a real name. That's a real okay, name. Okay. So All right, <laughs> let's let's move on. Lisa's goal for this year, apart from managing the risk of the EIB, is to improve her tennis and to enjoy eating the food her husband cooks. Uh, we've also got with us Harold Gruber. He's the head of the EIB's Digital Economy Division. I guess we invited the right guy. Uh, like all people named Harald Gruber, he is Italian. Wait, uh, that doesn't sound like an Italian name. How, 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 does, that, how does that work? Uh, it, it's, it's definitely an Italian name now because uh, it, it's from South Tyrol. So South Tyrol is almost 100 years already with Italy. And there the local people speak predominantly German. And therefore they have German first names and second names mostly. Mm-hmm. I gather, in fact, that it's actually 62% of the population of South Tyrol speaks German, and only 24% speak Italian. I have a feeling you had to look that up. But anyway, Harald <laughs> has a PhD from the London School of Economics. He joined the EIB 20 years ago as a digital expert, although 
back then, digital was a term that people thought you applied to your fingers. He's quite a highbrow. He's a fan of modern opera and of literary novelists like Dave Eggers, who wrote a dystopian Google World novel called The Circle. So it's a sort of a digital economy novel, perhaps. He's like Lisa in that he enjoys skiing. Harold likes very steep slopes. Lisa, do you like the steep slopes? Yes, and I also like to try the off-piste. Okay, well, so we can go off the script today as well. <laughs> Personally, I like to swoosh quietly down the blue runs and look at the trees and the mountaintops. It's a nice way to get away from the constant presence of smartphones and iPads and computers and screens. In fact, the digital economy. Ah, uh, I see what you did there. Uh, anyway, so this is a dictionary of finance from the European Investment Bank, and today's episode is about the digital economy. What is the digital economy? First of all, you have to explain the term, what is digitalization? We are living in an analog world. Digitalization doesn't mean anything else than trying to map this analog world, which we see and we, we touch, into a virtual world through all kinds of devices. But what you have to do is to translate everything into zeros and ones. That's the name of the digits. And once you manage to achieve that, you have a very powerful means of basically transforming that information that you have transformed. You can put it on devices, on semiconductors, and on infrastructures. Now, semiconductors, that's something that I did study very, mm -hmm. very extensively, has the feature that the performance increases, basically the performance doubles every 18 months, which means... Now, these semiconductors have been invented after the war, 1948, at the Bell Laboratories. Now, since then, you have this, what is called the Moore's Law, that's basically doubling of the performance, which means also halving the price of, of the performance. Mm -hmm. So you have this, this relentless decline in prices of such devices in a way that it becomes very, very cheap now to transform things into digits and to basically work on it and transmit it. The next evolutionary step, which is most likely, that instead of building chips, you're growing chips. You're, you're going down to sort of recreating organic stuff, like a brain. So that this is probably the next uh, frontier of the, uh, of the evolution for, uh, for the digital economy. So basically growing devices, not anymore building devices. Oh, is that where artificial intelligence comes it, into it? In part, of uh -huh. it's also where artificial... Now, of course, it can become quite scary if you think that they will then think on their own then. But, I mean, you, you do have already mechanisms set in place which, uh, which start on their own, so that's, that's easily possible. So, well, I hope we haven't frightened any of our listeners there. But uh, just to go back to the, the, the basics then, we're talking about the ones and zeros, which is the binary system. That, that's, that's all the machine code is in binary. So taking that, putting it onto a semiconductor, onto a chip, and essentially the, the improvement in performance is being able to put more of that on and to have it have the chip read it quicker. Lisa, uh, just kind of coming back down to earth, because this sounded all very scary for a moment. Uh, the, there's a guy... Uh, Only because of the subject, not because of Harold. No. <laughs> <laughs> The, the growing of the new uh, mm -hmm. cells. I mean, this is, uh, 
there's a guy called Tom Goodwin who who made the observation that the world's largest accommodation company owns no real estate, and uh, and the world's largest um, uh, taxi company owns basically no vehicles, and uh, the world's largest uh, media company creates no content. Uh, Facebook. Uh, so looking at companies in the digital economy, I, I, I'd assume that it's also slightly more difficult to, to evaluate their, their assets and what they actually, what they're worth uh, compared to the, the, the traditional, uh, compared to the analog companies, because they, they don't own this stuff. I mean, the pure uh, tech company, I mean, it, it has its own valuation and, and the forecasting and projections are the difficulties here. But I see you have this development also in, in, in any global company today as hardware and software goes more together. Mm-hmm. And, and you see that the intangible assets are having a bigger role compared to the tangible assets. And, and the risks of these intangible assets is something that we need to be able to understand and, and uh, evaluate. Intangible assets like the brand of Facebook and the brand of these... Or software. ...properties. Oh, okay, software, software. as well. Okay. The fixed asset we know, we, that's where we're used to. Um, in terms of, um, um, of companies with no assets, mm-hmm. I mean, then we, we have to use other measurements. Mm-hmm. Do these kinds of companies need a different kind of financing? Well, if I look at uh, what we um, loan that we signed uh, last year, as, as um, Alar mentioned earlier, Bonnier, which is a publishing house, which has uh, or is going through an enormous uh, digital strategy uh, infrastructure change in a way, and, and in their case, um, I mean, this uh, publishing company they have uh, TV, radio, newspaper, magazines. They, they um, movies uh, production and um, with very little uh, digital in-house knowledge and they're now moving into something very different. Yeah, I think it's what you're saying is it's been extremely interesting because that's actually what's happening in the world because you look at the, for instance, at the Fortune 500, so the top companies in the world, look at it 20 years ago. Who will you find that? You will find some oil companies, you will find some car companies, and perhaps some consumer goods companies. Now look, last year's Fortune 500, four out of the top five are digital companies, which didn't exist at that time. So basically you find there Apple, you find there Google, Alphabet, you will find Microsoft, and you will find uh, Facebook. So those, many of those companies didn't even exist 10 years ago. So you see Moore's law, so this dramatic increase in performance, it maps also in the financial market. So you evaluate companies more than that, which barely make profit. So, I mean, these are becoming top companies. And you see this powerful impetus that comes simply from, from the thing that they have no assets or they have just uh, goodwill. And they are basically dominating in terms of capitalization world markets. But going back to, Lisa, what you said earlier, uh, I mean, these days it's really difficult to imagine what is the non-digital economy. I mean, it's all digital, right? I mean, all the companies use computers. To me, um, if I look at um, the corporate lending that I've been doing in Sweden, uh, 
I mean, Sweden is a small country. They're very dependent on export companies and, and global, their global competition is something that they've been used with for a long, long time. And uh, I don't think there's any large company today that don't have their own digital platform. Uh, and, um, and the digitalization is, is already there. If you look at Atlas Copco, which is providing mining equipment, I mean, they already two years ago showed us bankers when we were visiting uh, a truck going into a mine completely without any person inside the mm. truck and somebody with a joystick handling the track, and actually we, the bankers were allowed to use this joystick and see how it worked. So, I mean, there is this work together with the manufacturing company, with the clients, finding solutions. This digitalization is hmm. already there and, and going further. And your job sounds, just started to sound a lot more fun. Thanks <laughs> Driving the trucks? Yeah, with the joystick <laughs> into the mine. Yeah. But do you have another joystick so that you can honk the horn? Because that's the important part about uh, the true. truck, really. Yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be so much fun. But Harald, I mean, there's this concept of the fourth industrial revolution, right? So when I heard this for the first time, it, it really kind of unnerved me because I thought, you know, what did I miss in between or what, what were the first three or, and, and what's the fourth one? Can you, can you just give us an overview of what, what is the fourth industrial revolution and is that where digital economy kind of began? No, I mean, the digital economy began actually before that, but the fourth industrial revolution is actually happening. It is happening because it, it is quite, if you think about it, it is a straightforward thing that's actually, I mean, it's inevitable. In the sense that if you spend one euro on infrastructure, you buy a phone, mm -hmm. you will spend about 10 euros at least on services, mm -hmm. and then another 100 euros in changing your working, your, your, your habits. So that's typically what's happening in the economy. So for one euro hardware, the economy spends 10 euro in services around it and 100 euros in transforming the economy because you have a new equipment and you, you change your processes. And, you, and basically in the industry, this is simply happening by sheer competition. If some, one country does it, the other has to replicate it because otherwise it's out of the market, loses competitiveness and it loses its basic, it's not anymore to so, support its standard of living because it simply falls back in the thing. So these kind of transformations are essential to keep your living standards. So this, this is definitely going to happen, but not only in industry. It will also happen in services. It will happen with governments. They all have to adapt to this. But it, it, the, the digital economy itself already started with the third industrial revolution, right? It started earlier. That's when, that's when computers started to yeah. help out traditional analog yeah. Yes. Industries, yeah? Yes, that's when, uh, when companies started to build robots and humans were acting with robots. So they put a robot in a room and humans were circling around the robot and the robot was doing yeah. the dirty work. The digital economy organizes, shifts around the robots and organizes production flow. So human intervention becomes minimal. A factory with no people in it? Yes. Just maybe someone on the other side of the world with a yes. computer telling that factory what to do? Exactly. Uh -huh. let's, let's look at one of those companies... For example, that you mentioned in the, the Fortune 500, the um, let's say, well, any of them probably, but let's say Facebook. It started out with uh, some nerdy little guy in his dorm room at, at Harvard, uh, but at a certain point, they needed financing, 
Mm-hmm. So the financing for a, a nerdy little guy in his dorm mm-hmm. room is going to be different from a big company like Bonia, mm-hmm. uh, which Lisa has, has been working on. How, how does that guy get financing? The, the guy who has a very good idea needs to take it into, essentially into the digital economy. Yes, I mean, it's a needs a completely different approach of those who finance. I mean, take a mortgage. Normally, what is with mortgage financing, you can observe what builders are doing, what's build, being built. Now, if you have a nerdy somebody in, in the garage and you give him money, you cannot observe what he's doing with that. You cannot observe whether he's having just good time with your money or whether that person is producing something which is valuable to you and for your, for your profits. And that's the crucial difference from, uh, from, from the financing. So you need basically financier, which is built on trust, on reputation, and also on basically chance, and, uh, and basically uh, having a little bit an idea of what the whole thing is about, but not be too much uh, tied up by uh, firm expectations on profit. So you need a considerably higher dose of risk in, when, you, when you approach such a thing. But the reward can be enormous. So basically you have, uh, you have to ponder these ideas and therefore you need a different type of approach in financing. So you don't, uh, you don't go to a bank at that stage? Usually. Probably, it depends probably on the bank, but most of the banks, they are not able to do those things because they have their regulations, they have their own procedures, and they don't probably have the skilled persons to, to, to detect those, those, uh, those type of people who, who can do that properly. Let's see if we can uh, nail down a few of the different elements of the digital economy because uh, you know, I've seen reference to uh, e-business infrastructure as one of the parts of it, and that would be hardware, software, and things like that. Uh, e-business itself, which is, I guess, anything that takes place to do with business over the Internet, mm-hmm. really. And then e-commerce, which is, uh, let's say, something like Amazon or, um, or the flower company that I send flowers to my mother every time she gets her hip replaced, which is quite often. She's at least 30% uh, Chinese ceramic now, I believe. And... Uh, Possibly digital. Uh, she in might the be digital. Yes. Oh wow! I want, they could be growing her hip. Yes. I think that might actually be happening. Okay. Anyway, that's for that's not finance. That's going to. But are those are areas that we could define. Are there other elements of the digital economy where it reaches out into things that we might not expect? In principle, nothing can be excluded. So I mean, uh, sometimes it's the very very bizarre. Uh, elements that can be digitalized. And if it can be digitalized, it can be transmitted, it can be scaled up. You have to think in those terms. So, I mean, uh, very bizarre things can, can happen or also extremely useful things. Think about how can I provide a loan to somebody who cannot read and does ha- not have a bank in, in within walking distance. He has no way. To you can mm-hmm. do that with digitalization. Give a mobile phone to somebody living out in the jungle, mobile phone and power stations that are powered by solar power, so no, they're not even on grid. And this is precisely what the bank is doing, such projects where basically you can provide 
services, digital services to people which were not served at all before. And you can help those people to jump immediately into the digital world. So they don't have to go through all the banking type of things and things like that. Because they simply they are clever enough to understand what is a loan, what is my own thing, and what is uh, something that I have to somehow to return. And this is uh, basically the power of, of digitalization. So this is also an example of how uh, when, you, when you said earlier that digital um, revolution is, is changing all sectors, all industries. This is an example of how digitalization is changing finance also. Yes. 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 Okay. So, I mean, think about fintech. I mean, it's precisely what is happening. We are used to, to have banking with a lot of human intervention. Many of those processes through artificial intelligence and processing, sheer processing power, can be uh, uh, improved. And sometimes they, are, they even have a better performance. So the, therefore, the whole banking services can in principle be digitalized and basically relegated to digital equipment. You just mentioned fintech. Let's just say what that is. Fintech is basically it's, it's, uh, the adoption of uh, digital technology to financial products. So financial products are simply d- designed, produced and provided by uh, digital technology. What other industries are likely to be changed the most, apart from, let's say, banking and so on? Are there particular industries that you think are going to be completely transformed? I, as I said before, I think all of them are in a transformation phase. And I can just mention another company, which uh, uh, another company called Asa Abloy in Sweden, which does um, door handling, where it's a lock company. Mm-hmm. And, and um, today, some 30% of the business is only manual locks. Hmm. Everything else is automatic locks or uh, electronic locks. And, and they have their ambition of moving from a normal supplier into a um, complete solution provider and for, for buildings. And meanwhile, they're changing this supplier function into another the competitors changed. So the competitors is no, no, not only the locker companies, but it's also perhaps Security. telecom uh, and, and the internet-based uh, companies. And mm-hmm. I think we will see um, a change and also maybe more cooperations among companies in trying mm-hmm. to get market shares. But what's your experience? Is it, is it easier for traditional companies like Bonnier or, or Asabloy to, to move into the digital economy and to, to change and use these opportunities partly based on what financial capital they've already gathered and, and, and the fact that they have a well-known and trusted brand? Or is it easier for somebody you know, to come up from, from zero, from that dorm room, to, to become the competition for Asabloy, to become the competition for, for Bonnier because they don't have the, the, the heritage, the traditions that are weighing them down? Well, well, there's one thing that with the bigger older companies is that they sit on the supplier and the customers. And if they're not aware of the digital uh, threat or they will lose, might lose everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so the awareness of, of their threats are, of course, they are more important. But, but the other thing is also because they might have more funding available and they're stronger, so they can acquire smaller companies that has the skills that fits their strategy 
And in a way, they have an advantage of, of being bigger. Hmm. Is everything that's, that has the little E put in front of it part of the digital economy? You know, when we were chatting before we recorded, Harold, you mentioned e-government. So that, does that refer to, you know, for example, when I want a new passport, I go online and I do it that way instead of having to trek down to the passport office and wait in the line? Is that part of e? Is that part of the digital economy as well? Yes, indeed. Everything that they have put exposed an e on it, it's it's, it's an attempt of digitalization, which typically is is working out, but. I think they are too slow in putting ease in front of words because there are much more uh, services which are already digitalized, but uh, but uh, which do not have yet the e in front of. Or it's not at least in our uh, in our dictionary as an e. And also the the podcast it doesn't have an e in front of it, although it is a fully digital product. Yes. You wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't have if you didn't have the e, you wouldn't have us, and that would be terrible. And you wouldn't have had Lisa. And Harold today explaining to you the digital economy. Thank you, guys. That's really terrific. Thank you so much. Yes, and uh, tune in to our podcast uh, next week. Also get in touch with us over Twitter to um, give us feedback and also recommend other terms and concepts that you would like to have explained. Alar is at Alar Tankler, A-L-L-A-R. T-A-N-K-L-E-R. But Matt is much easier. It's at E-I-B Matt, M-A-T-T. So uh, get in touch with us and also rate the podcast and subscribe to it. We'll see you next week on A Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank.